Welcome to the Arise podcast with Danielle Castillejo and Maggie Hemphill. Conversations about faith, race, justice, gender, and the church. Hey, and um, today we have a very special guest with us, Pastor Stephanie O'Brien, Williams O'Brien, author of Stay Curious, a member of the Lead Stories podcast and and Lead Stories Media, and I'm just blessed she's a coach um, for me in my life and a leader that I really look up to, and so I'm honored to have you with us. Hey, welcome. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here, and I've learned a lot from you too, Danielle, so it's been mutual. That's great. Yeah, I'm, I just, you know, kind of want to get to know you, like who you are, introduce you to people over here in Western Washington and other places we have influence and in what you're up to and, and what life looks like for you. Totally. Go for it. Oh, that's that's the question. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought you were like, we're just we're just gonna do that. I'm like, all right, we're doing it. We're doing it. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah, awesome. perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a um, I am a maverick. So I just do lots of different things. Yes, <laughs> I was we like about, mavericks. Like, yep, yep. And uh, you know, I I guess it depends on what the definition of maverick is, but I kind of see it as like it's not like I don't like participate with institutions and very formal organized things. I just don't uh, get like settled into any one of them. (laughs) So I, um, I'm a church planter, which is a good fit for uh, a maverick person. And my, my church is now 11 years old. It's called Mill City Church in the, in Minneapolis in the urban part of Minneapolis. Um, A nickname for Minneapolis is Mill, the Mill City because we started, the city kind of started around flour mills and sawmills that were around the Mississippi river up here. And so that's, we were just kind of naming the church after after the city. And uh, it's a, you know, smaller, medium-sized church that's been focusing on trying to love our city. We just say we're, our mission is to love our community in the name of Jesus. And so very Jesus-oriented and um, very community development-oriented and trying to be people who uh, make an impact in the city. And um, great group of people that I just have such a huge privilege to serve and um, then I also teach at Bethel Seminary, which is here in St. Paul. So Minneapolis and St. Paul are the twin cities, they call them, even though they're not twins, they're very different. But um, St. Paul has Bethel Seminary, which is uh, actually where I went to seminary, be trained as a pastor. And now I teach the preaching classes there and I'm involved there in some various ways. And uh, and then, like you said, I, I am a writer. I've just, my first book just came out, just signed my contract for my second book. What? And that's crazy. That's I know, awesome. crazy. And uh, didn't necessarily think I was going to do that in life, but here we are. And um, yeah, love coaching leaders, love leadership development, love thinking about what, you know, what God's invitation to us as people who are leaders and people of influence in the world. Um, but as Jesus followers, like, what does that look like? And I feel like I'll be wondering about that question forever. And I love that. So um, I get to lead a podcast with my friend, Joe Saxton called Lead Stories. And uh, it really is just, talking through, in a lot of ways, kind of like we're coaching people through a podcast on leadership, um, either ideas or things we're wrestling with or giving out some resources or tools. That's really our heart for lead stories. So we've been doing that for three years and wow. uh, that's kind of crazy. And I saw that you just hit like a million downloads. Is that right? Yeah, we just hit a million downloads. What? Well crazy. done. I know. I know. And there's people who get that in like a day, but nobody cares about them. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's crazy. I mean, it's just not what we ever would have thought, but it's been really, really fun. And, um, you know, Joe's, Joe's one of my best friends. So I kind of feel like we'd be talking about these things anyway. Maybe you guys feel this way too. Like we'd be mm-hmm. talking about this anyway, so we yeah, might as well yeah. record it and 
let it be helpful for other people. So yeah, that's a little bit how we got started too. Just like, we're already having this conversation. I was like, Maggie, do a podcast with me. Come on, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. We're doing it. Yep. So here we are. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So yeah, that's, that's basically it. (laughs) Well, it's awesome. It sounds like uh, you got your hands in a lot of things, which is fun. Uh, That Variety is the spice of life, as it were. Uh, and what an incredible, what an incredible um, joy it must be to work with your best friend, you know, someone who you already spend time with and you have similar uh, beliefs and challenges for each other. And what a great way to use your own resources and skills to further equip and develop and coach um, up-and-coming leaders. So that's really awesome. And it's exciting to see how uh, how well spread your influence is and and getting to um, that we get to be the the beneficiaries of that Danielle and I specifically yeah. <laughs> well I it's an honor to be able to do those things so I'm super grateful I think what I like about it is that when I imagined getting my master's in counseling and psychology degree like I, I think a lot of people were like oh now you're going to be a therapist and you're going to sit in an office for like 40 hours a week but really what <laughs> I've been finding out is like oh yeah I think I'm going to do that like part-time and then all of the information and things I've been taking in, you know, if knowing is just this process of taking in information, it doesn't affect us at all. But what I like about what you're doing is you're knowing something, you know, and you write about it because of your curiosity and that knowing impacts your world. And Oh yeah. So talk talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I often talk about being a practical theologian. So for me, if the theology doesn't impact our, our actions and or our way of being or our practices, then it's just hard for me to even spend too much brain power on that. Yeah. Now, I think that it's important and there's a lot of stuff that people thinking well about is really good, but I just, it's like my brain breaks down when I don't see how it impacts how we actually do anything. Yeah. Um, and so I've actually been able to say like most theological questions like have some really practical responses. And so, um, to me, that's the motivation of, of being a theologian is the, the practical living it out. And so I do, I do have a lot of people that I'm either close with or I highly regard who are mainly, you know, theologians that are producing theory or things like that. But I always lean towards being a practical theologian and putting it on the ground. Um, you know, it's part of how I'm wired for sure. Um, I don't know, like, I, it's almost like I don't think I could, could not do that, you know, like yeah. put it into action. Well, and uh, there's more there than I could possibly ever do. Like, I have more ideas of things that I could do. So it's really a discernment thing in the end of the day as well, like what God inviting me into specifically. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about you saying that it, there, are, there are people who are called to be deep thinkers and, and they're producing theory and books, and, and, and that is great too. Um, but how, how active and the doing part, the practical part, is, is, is how we will likely reach people as it's, it's in the face to face, it's having um, interactions and encounters. And so it's good that there's like that, the, the balance of the body all doing their parts, you know? Yeah, totally. And I, and I love taking what those folks have spent so much time to, in, you know, to work on and saying, okay, so what are we going to do about it? And yeah. I hope that honors the work that they've done too. For sure. That's so good. I, I really think we need each other. I just, I just got done writing a paper and sent it off to my friend to edit it and she started editing it and she wrote back and she said, I think we need a phone call. And I was like, oh no, what's wrong? She's like, well, you have everything there, but you're chronically always out of order whenever <laughs> you write. <laughs> and so, mm. and you know, she just helped me order it. So you know, like when we're in the body, it's the same way. Like a lot of times we have 
ideas and thoughts and want to put things into action, but sometimes we don't have the skill to order them or mm-hmm. do that. And I like how, well, I mean, I've been a benef- benefiting from leadership development and just, and just the action steps of practical theolo- theology that you're talking about are so helpful. Totally. And I, you know, like you, I, I love the integration of theology and psychology. Like I, I was actually a psychology major in my undergrad enough to know that that wasn't going to be the, the major long term, but it's been an important thing for me as like a minor and as like an integration piece into what it looks like to, to pastor people and lead people too. Yeah, I actually had thought about recruiting you to come out and study with me. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Coming out. <laughs> okay, so tell us a little bit about your book, Stay Curious. Like, how did you decide to write it? Like, what was the process? It's your first book. Were you scared? Like, what happened? Yeah. Well, the kind of how it ended up happening, I mean, in some ways, I think it's because of the podcast and, um, you know, whether anybody likes it or not, if you're going to have somebody publish a book, it, you have to have an audience of people who want to read said book, <laughs> which I think everybody's got, most people have a little bit of like a complicated relationship with that reality, but mm-hmm. it makes sense, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's now that I've done it, it's a lot of work. And so to get to that point and for there not to be people who want to read it, I can see why they're trying to help you with that up front. Yeah, <laughs> so, so I'm good. super glad that I've been able to connect with different leaders um, around, you know, locally around here, but also uh, around the world and around the country. And we've got some folks who listen to the podcast in um, England and I've been out to England. And then we've got some people in Australia too. That's kind of the two places outside the United States and Canada, I guess, that we have listeners. And so I actually get to go to Australia this summer um, and I hope to connect with some of our lead stories folks there too. And so, it's just been amazing to have those folks um, as, I mean, not only do we get to, to equip them and give them resources, but just we are always listening to what other people are wanting to hear about and learning from them too. And so it's been amazing to have that. And so that's really what led to, so what would it look like to write down some of these words in a more permanent form than mm-hmm. say a blog and then obviously in a more, in a different form than talking in a podcast mm-hmm. and um, had the opportunity to do that. Um, and Man, I, there's a lot of things I could say about the process, but I will say for me, it was very life giving. I don't know that's how everyone feels. And maybe I won't feel like that about every book, but to, to kind of like you said, like to, to get a resource out there that I was writing down stories of mm-hmm. conversations that I've had. The book is about, well, the subtitle kind of helps with it. So it's Stay Curious How Questions and Doubts Can Save Your Faith. And I've had so many conversations with people wrestling through questions around faith wondering about doubt, is it okay, are they sinning, and all these kinds of things. And I've seen so many of those conversations lead to people who have been able to not run from those questions and doubts, but actually press into them. And because of that, come out on the other side with a more vibrant and meaningful faith in their life. I mean, they maybe have uh, less things that they feel like they need to have certainty about, but they have more assurance in their life and their relationship with God. And so as a pastor, of course, that's a deep hope of mine as for the people that I lead. But, you know, I know that at the end of the day, they have to choose that. They have to do that work. It's not work that I can do for them. But if they cannot feel alone and they can feel like it's normal and maybe even good, that it can mature their faith and make it more worthwhile. I think I've seen so many people feel encouraged by that. So then to write those stories down, to know that people could have that in a different form, um, just was such a gift to be able to do. Yeah, you say curiosity didn't kill me, it rescued me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a big statement. Well, you know how they always talk about curiosity killed the cat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, you know, this idea that curiosity is going to get you in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say it won't ever get you in trouble. 
But the idea that that's mostly what it does, even the tongue in cheek that people have around Curious George, the little monkey, like, well, what happens in the story? Curious George messes something up every time because he's curious. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, that's kind of a bad rap. Like mm-hmm. most of the time it like leads to something that's meaningful. And so for me, there's a couple times where when I say it rescued me, I think I really mean like my face, it rescued my face. Mm-hmm. It didn't let my face die or be killed. And um, I think that's because there were some things I faced in my life that were questions that probably couldn't be answered, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so what I actually needed to do is to get to some of the deeper questions that came from that and to recognize that um, sometimes it's enough to just have a really good question that leads to other questions. And somewhere in there, you do sometimes end up finding the right assurance that you're looking for. Although I'd still maintain that absolute certainty is a myth and that that's what the purpose of having faith is. In our sure. life. You can't have certainty and faith at the same time. Those counteract each other. Yeah. If you're not really asking questions or engaging it, you know, stagnant, uh, your faith becomes stagnant and then it's just sort of a slow death for the faith. And so continuing to engage, um, even when there's no clear answer is, is really a way to wrestle with God in a way that produces uh, deeper faith and trust, knowing that you, knowing that there probably isn't a clear cut path set out and that you get to you get to choose what those questions and doubts will lead to in that without the curiosity, you're going to go nowhere. It's like the curiosity is what drives you into it to further, further faith and further knowledge. So I love what you said about curious George though, because my kids love um, curious George in the show or they did when they were little. And I, when you had said that's kind of a bad rap, he always gets in trouble for his curiosity. And I actually did not make that connection. I <laughs> totally missed it. I was like, look at how funny yeah. George is. But, but yeah. the message we're sending them is the, is to not be curious or else you'll get in right. trouble or to not be curious right. because there'll be huge consequences. And I always tell my kids there, you can always ask questions. It doesn't mean I always have, right. you know, an answer that will satisfy you, but like I encourage right. that. I want you to ask questions. Yeah, right. Well, and I think at least the, you know, at least his friend, the man in the yellow hat, yeah. at least like in the end, he helps those things not become like <laughs> unsolvable problems and he's there. But, you know, I think even that character, like he's, he gets so anxious about Curious George having curiosity mm-hmm. and then he's got to like deal with it. And I think that's part of what's hard. Like when young people become curious, I think it gives anxiety to other people in their life. And um, I always tell people like, I think Jesus can handle your anxiety, but some other people can't. Yeah. yeah, it's true. I, I remember sitting in church, I was like 17 and wondering, you know, having big questions like, is God really here? I feel so depressed. And I remember the pastor, you know, he didn't know I was sitting there thinking that and he is a large church in our area. And he was on stage and he said, I've never once doubted Jesus existence and I've never once doubted my faith. And and I'll never yeah. forget that because I came away and I thought, oh man, I've already done that. Mm. I'm done. Right. I, I, right. At that point, like as a as a kid. Now I know I was just still a kid. I was like, I've already done it. I've already done it. He's, I don't know. He was much older than me. Right. So I was like, he's made it that far. Not doubted. I'm 17. I'm done. Mm. Yep. It makes, it shuts it down so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. How would you, um, how would you differentiate like healthy curiosity versus unhealthy curiosity? Like, did you talk about that at all in your book? Um, yeah. So I kind of, talked about kind of the difference between um well first of all the difference between being a seeker and a cynic Mm -hmm. so that's one of the contrasts that I think you know I'm not saying that those are two like dualistic spots but I think somewhere in there that seeking and that curiosity um maybe 
maybe skepticism is in the middle there, but then you end up kind of waist deep in cynicism and that's pretty hard to, mm. to work through. Um, and, I, and I think that for lots of people, if they don't work through the cynicism, they'll end up in a place of apathy because it's almost like you can't handle the, the, the tension. So then you're, you're cynical and apathetic at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of one of the things. And then um, I talked about um, the difference between wandering and wondering. So yeah. like this idea that wandering is kind of like when people use phrases, like I'm going to go find myself or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's, I'm not against that, but like, where are you going? Yeah. Well, I don't know, wherever the wind blows. It's like, well, no, it's kind of this like, if you're going wherever you're just walking and wandering around, that that's a thing that you can do in a wilderness. You know, I think that you're mentioning like this idea of you go through these times, there's not a path. Right. Yeah. It's usually a wilderness. That's the narrative used in scripture as a near is a wilderness experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a difference, I think, of wandering through the wilderness instead of wandering through. And I think that wandering means that you're as- actively asking questions that somehow almost help you determine what direction to take a step in. And you might, you don't have any certainty about, am I going in the right step? Or even if there is a right or wrong step, but the questions are what's propelling you versus just the sense of, of, um, you know, uh, the wandering that I think can give a sense of overwhelm or a sense of, like I said, apathy or cynicism um, or just discouragement, I think that can come from that. Um, but I think that's easy to, to have. I'm, willing, I'm not going to make light of a wilderness experience. I think yeah. those are very, very difficult. Um, but I would also say um, the, the, the other contrast that I make in there is what it looks like to be somebody who is um, someone who is definitely open to the fact that the questions that you have might not be answered, mm-hmm. but they might come to some answers that work for you at least right now. And how can you be someone who is really genuinely searching for those versus kind of what I often use the term like a spiritual elitist? who will say things like, well, I'm so, you know, I've, I've, I'm enlightened. I've, I've come to this place and it's too bad other people don't ask as good of questions as me, <laughs> this kind of intellectual, spiritual arrogance. And uh, my, my friend, uh, Greg Boyd, the pastor up here in the Twin Cities, and he says, he calls it the arrogance of rightness. Mm. And it's just like, at, at what point do you really believe that you know for sure that you're right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you can't live out of a sense of, I think this is truth. I'm following this as truth because this is what I really feel in the depth of who I am, but to say, and I'm positive that I'm right is really arrogant. And yeah. so I think that there's something to be avoided there as well when it comes to healthy curiosity. Yeah. I, I actually wrote about that, uh, just last night I sent out a weekly like update and I, I just told my mentor and friend, I said, and I'll quote it. I said, it came to me at church that if I had never met her and she's loves Jesus and gone to graduate school or embraced the call in my life to learn, I could have lived and gone to heaven. And now that I have done these things, I will struggle far more on earth with truth and wonder far more about eternity. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the sense of like, no, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not exiting my faith, but now I, I, I'm committed to wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Whereas before I was con- committed to this binary form of living, which was, I can't ever go back. That's the other thing I told her. I can't go back now. I, as much as the wrestling is painful and it hurts at at some point, it, it opens up things in me that, that God is showing me and teaching me that I don't want to unlearn. I don't want to give those gifts back. Hmm. Nope. And you have to choose to stay awake to them. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, um, 
yeah, you know, in psychology, there's the what's better but wiser yeah. <laughs> <laughs> theory and that generally speaking, the more accurate view of yourself in the world that you have, the more depressed people are. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I get that. But I actually think that curiosity can be something that helps us with that as well. Because it's kind of like, yeah, the world is as it is, or I have a relatively accurate, you know, I, I always say, I'm not a optimist or a pessimist. I'm some, I'm a realist. And because I think there's 6.35 ounces of water in whatever, okay, gotcha. <laughs> instead of half full or half empty. But but I probably do borderline on pessimist at times if I'm being honest. But but I think having curiosity means like, well, there's still things I haven't discovered yet, though. And mm-hmm. somewhere in there, you can say that's hope, you know. Mm-hmm. And and yes. does it also mean that there's longing? I kind of think hope and longing are, you know, they're they're cousins that are that are never separated. Like they're they're together. You you if you're hoping, that means there's something that you hope you want or you picture that's not here yet. So that's another word for that. And a really tough day is probably longing. And so that's not easy, but it does give a sense that there is something more than what's happening right now. Um, and even if I can't name that or I don't know exactly what that means, that pursuit is worth it because I, I know I haven't gotten to the point where I've answered all the questions. And, and this idea that I never will, that I can answer some things that might help me be propelled along the way. But that's different than I'll get to a day where there's just no more questions. Mm-hmm. Me, that's not really a life worth living. And I can see how despair could easily come into that. Um, and have an onset in people's life. But, you know, I think uh, I think the, the wilderness narrative is helpful for what you just said as well. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as you get out of Egypt, you're like, what? Wait, yeah. can we go back in there? Yeah. You know, um, when during the book, when I was writing the book, I was studying about how the words, the, the way that Egypt was talked about um, in the first century, or back in the, that part of time, kind of when, right when Moses was leading people out, the, the, wor- the name for Egypt that most people would have used basically meant the narrow place. Huh. And if you look at Egypt on a map, it's kind of like squished between things. And so the people of Israel are living there and they're multiplying, you know, and so there's more and more of them. They are literally expanding. They're getting more, they're getting bigger, quote unquote. And that land, there's no place for them to go. And so in some ways, like they're hitting like a limit. And so I think of it as like, you know, you're, you're, your coat from last year doesn't fit so well. It's too yeah. tight, you know. Or um, I use this, the illustration in the book of what's very common here in Minnesota because we have so much snow is that the snow will, will melt and then it goes into cracks in the concrete in the road and then it freezes again, you know, overnight. Mm-hmm. And what happens is water, unlike most liquids, when it freezes, it expands. Most liquids contract when they freeze, but because of the molecules, it expands. And so it breaks the concrete up. And so then we have these terrible potholes. And it takes forever to fix it. And then we say stupid things like Minnesota only has two seasons, winter and road construction. And it's really cheesy. <laughs> but, but like the thing is when you expand from a tight, narrow place, it, it breaks things. It feels like a break. I mean, the nice way to put it is a breakthrough. You mm-hmm. can't say breakthrough without break. And yeah. so you have a breakthrough and you break out of dualistic thinking, like you mentioned. Um, that's not necessarily going to feel good doesn't mean it's wrong or doesn't mean it's not expanding which I think most people say of course I want to expand and grow but that growth is not neutral it it causes you to not fit in places you were in before and even those people were like so wait can we go back to, to, mm-hmm. to Egypt because this wilderness thing is not all uh, not, not what we signed up for either and that's understandable but you can't go back so <laughs> you can't get <laughs> back into that 
spot, that narrow place, uh, it's not going to work anymore. But you can see what you can, you can kind of let them off the hook a little bit more, uh, give them a little more compassion when you think about how easily we would do that same thing. For sure. I'm, I'm just, uh, like piecing together some of the things that you've said. And I, and I like this idea of movement where, um, wandering, is sort of aimless and without purpose, whereas wondering feels intentional and um, yep. intentional movement. And I, I liked what you said about hope. And I feel like the difference probably between wandering and wondering is hope. Like wandering yeah. feels yeah. sort of hopeless, whereas yeah. wondering yeah. feels like, well, I could get an answer or part of an answer or something that would lead me somewhere. And so this this idea of movement in our faith and, and in our lives. And I wonder what movement looks like for you. One of the things that you mentioned on your, on your website is that you're an activist. And I wonder what that looks like for you, um, doing all the things that you do. How do you move with activism and, and what that looks like? Yeah, totally. Well, I'll start with one way that I absolutely do not um, personally participate in activism um it's 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 at times but it's relatively rare and that's online so i just it personally i don't feel called for my activism to be to be on the internet i think a lot of people is called to that like i think danielle that's part of your calling is to bring that activism Mm -hmm. to your to your internet space and uh frankly people will criticize the lack of doing that um but i've just found for me and how i'm wired and for a big part of what I feel called to is helping people see uh, nuance in situations. And I just have not found there any space in that internet dialogue for nuance. Um, mm-hmm. And if there is space, it's going to take a lot more time in that space than I'm going to be able to give it <laughs> to, yeah. to dialogue with people back and forth, you know? It is um, true. So I just, I just don't participate in that kind of activism from like a, generally speaking, you know, not to say there's an exception to that. But um, so then it brings up the question. So like, then what does that looks like you know mm-hmm. so for me um it's very local it's very local oriented um i like i said the practical theologian i think theology and our understanding of who god is it really leads us to to say well so then what are we going to do about that mm-hmm. and so the two questions i probably ask more in my life than anything else um to, to god really is what are you what are you doing like, what are you doing around me mm-hmm. and then the second question is how can i join in yeah, and so really for good. me, activism doesn't look like making a list of all the needs in the world and picking which ones I like the most or think the most interesting, but actually asking God to open up my eyes to the ways in which God's doing things around me and give me a, an ability to hear God's voice more clearly. And, and then more than anything, just give me the courage to actually try to respond to that. Even though I don't ever have the, like you said, the path, it's more of like, well, I'll take this one step um, and that's that's what I can do and yeah. keep moving in that direction. And so for me, there's been a number of, of issues and things that I have been able to participate with here in the Twin Cities um, surrounding racial justice, um, surrounding the sex industry here in the Twin Cities, um, having the opportunity to be a part of um, just a number of things in regards to refugee resettlement. That's a really big thing here in the Twin Cities. So we've been a part of that here. Um, and then uh, I would say like my activism quote unquote extends to just the way that I empower and equip my congregation. So you're not going to find me, um, you know, emailing everybody and telling them you need to all come with me to this March. I'll see you there. I'm leading the way. Um, but I might go to the March with a couple people I'm discipling. Mm -hmm. Um, and if some people from my church say we're going to that, 
I'm grateful for them to lead the way. But to me, it's like, how do I get out of the way and say, what's God telling you? I don't need to be the conduit of God to you. Yeah. Um, God's going to use me. But my goal is to help you ask these questions. What's mm. God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Because you might be another area that we've been involved in really here is um, with housing. Um, of course, homelessness yeah, in Minnesota has yes. different ramifications. Um, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in that uh, in your guys' part of the country, too. Um, and then another area that's been maybe the number one for my church at large has been around childhood hunger mm-hmm. and just recognizing that that's happening right here in our city and what does it look like to come alongside some of those gaps for kids who have food insecurity. Um, and so we've done a number of things. We ended up starting a nonprofit that's now eclipsed the church by far. It's huge now, um, serving 250 schools where they um where, where kids are given food over the weekend because the weekend food gap is pretty strong for lots of kids. So 250 schools in the Twin Cities, you know, because a few people said, well, we can try to do this in this one school. Yeah. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that's like, you don't, you can't strategically plan it. Like you, you can try and I, I'm not even against planning, but don't hold them too closely or your story is going to end up being a lot more lame than if you just actually try to follow God's movement in the world and see mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah, I think I've even experienced that in my life, just like um, having dreams and ideas of where to go next and what to do next and and literally just kind of like following the next step, throwing it in the air is how I imagine it, and then being comfortable if it lands and it works out and and I can do it, or also being comfortable like, well, that didn't come back. That's not that's not going to be the right path. Or, But right. I like, I think I love the idea how you're looking around you and what's what's happening. And I know you mentioned the March and the nonprofit, but could you just break it down a tiny bit more and say like, I saw this thing happening, for instance, with refugee resettlement. Here's how I got involved just to give an example. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. So a group of us helped resettle an actual family here in the Twin Cities. Um, There's not as much of that happening right at the moment, um, given the circumstances in the country, but Mm -hmm. we were able to help a Somali family so there's more people in the Twin Cities here from Somalia than anywhere else in the world except for Somalia. So mm-hmm. there, I mean, just a lot. And um, they're, they're refugees, they're fleeing major crises. And so um, it's, that this is a group of people that's become a significant part of our community. Um, of course, they're typically Muslim people who have mm-hmm. a very different faith than ours. Um, but to be able to come alongside a family um, with the goal of, helping them feel welcome to our community. So, of course, that looks like things like raising money and finding items and um, spending time with those people and making sure they felt like there was, uh, under, like get, helping them connect with American culture while at the same time um, being open and wanting to learn their culture. So uh, helped a group of people from my, my church to be able to do that. Um, and uh, that, so that'd be an example of something like that where we're able to say like, Practically speaking, and I would never discourage people from sending money, and I've financially supported refugee resettlement as well, but to be able to also bring that relational piece in there. That's awesome. I like I like what you said about um, like being open to their culture, too. Like, you're not trying to, like... Um colonize them or I'm not sure that what the right word no, is, but like no. you're, you're, um, respectful and honoring of their own culture while, while helping them to, to feel like this could be a home for them too. I love that. And even just to, and even just to navigate our systems, you know, like that's really what 
you know, of course it, it is cultural, but at yeah. the same time, like, you know, American culture is found in every aspect of what we consider quote unquote normal, um, particularly like, you know, mainstream white American culture, but to help them navigate things like the bus system and mm-hmm. grocery stores and things that are just, you know, very, very different. Um, some people that came a part of this family had been in refugee camps for seven years. So they hadn't lived in a spot where they were figuring out grocery stores. This isn't, this isn't about the fact that they didn't know what a grocery store was. This is about, this is a very new thing because they've been out of that context for seven years, you know? Mm. So how do you, how do you be patient with people and help them um, understand things that are, are frankly mind boggling that someone wouldn't have experienced because we're so caught up in the privilege that we have as people yeah. who live so freely. Yeah, I, I, I love the practicality of it. I love that you're doing that. And I think that just speaks to the way of life that you're living in general. Like you're doing all these things and yet you have time to do this too. Yeah. I like that you have space for all of that. Yeah, um, and I think at this point too, like I recognize that encouraging and coming alongside the people who are, are doing those things on the ground um, really multiplies what I get to do. You know, encouraging mm-hmm. groups of people in my church by coaching them and how they're leading things and stepping into it so we've got lots of missional communities doing different things around the city and um sometimes i'm with them sometimes i'm not but more than anything i'm like in their corner yeah. and sometimes me not going is actually getting out of the way <laughs> so that they can yeah. be the ones who experience being the activists that are taking action you know yeah and i think you know being a part of your leadership group i can see how things i've learned there i've been able to pass on here and how that effect is just you know it ripples out from there yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Hey, can you give us a little bit about hey, what you're reading, what you're listening to, and who's inspiring you? Well, um, I I am, you guys mentioned this right before we started recording, but it is definitely Advent. I don't know when mm-hmm. people will listen to this, but um, as a local church pastor, you can't ignore the holiday season. And then in our community, we really do celebrate Advent as a part of the church calendar. And so um, I... I think somebody recommended this. I want to say somebody recommended it on Facebook or something, but I bought this book and it's just called Advent um, and uh, by Fleming Rutledge. Now the book is not actually mostly by him. He's editing it. And if you look at it, it's what it is, is like a collection of sermons given on the subject of Advent um, and then categorized into different topics. And so, um, but, but they're all focused on the eschatological aspects of Advent and how when, you know, depending on who's listening to this, like some people maybe grew up with that tradition in their faith community or not. Yeah. Um, you know, some, some Protestant churches don't celebrate Advent, but the history of the celebration of Advent was not so much talking about how do we prepare for Christmas <laughs> or yeah. for baby Jesus, because he did already come. It's his birthday. Um, <laughs> but how do we, how do we prepare for Jesus to come again? Yeah. yeah. And what is that longing and, that intersection of longing and hope look like for us in our lives. So we take these, you know, this, these 25 days or whatever it ends up being um, each year, we take these days to, to practice waiting mm. to help us understand that we're always waiting. And he uses the phrase being, because basically we are Advent people oh, and like that. Um, that we're just people who are, I mean, Advent means the coming or the arrival. We're people who are constantly awaiting the arrival not waiting for baby Jesus to be born or excited that, uh, you know, of course, when you're a little kid, Oh, Jesus birthday, you know, that's (laughs) helpful to understand. But I mean, I even was talking about that. So it led me to talk about that with my little niece and nephew, they're three and five. And I said, 
you know, what are we celebrating on Christmas? And, you know, they got, they remembered it wasn't just presents. <laughs> and they yeah, said, yes. well, Jesus birthday. And I said, you know, maybe you don't know this. So maybe you don't remember, but in case you don't remember, like Jesus is going to come back again. Do you mm-hmm. think he's going to come back as a baby? You know, they're like, mm-hmm. no, I said, you think he's going to come back as a puppy? <laughs> no. <laughs> but so then I was telling him like, that we have a picture of how he might come back. Like, we don't know what it'll literally be like, but it says that he's riding on a white horse. And so my nephew's like bouncing off the walls by the time I'm getting to the white horse part. But then he comes back like 10 minutes later with an actual like toy white horse yes, <laughs> that, his, love it. that his dog had chewed the face off of. I was like, <laughs> like this horse? Is Jesus coming back on this horse? And I was like, yeah. And then I was thinking we should maybe put like a little white horse on every nativity scene. Mm, <laughs> to remind that's that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. There we go. So that book is, it's really beautiful. And the, um, the collection of sermons, I mean, I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm going to read all of them this year because it's thick, but the introduction that he gives for about a, you know, about a sub chapter's worth of theology is beautiful and really influenced my, um, my sermon writing this Advent. Yeah. And then who's, in, who's inspiring me? Um, I'm assuming that I'm not going to be the only one when people listen to this, but the same thing I'm listening to is who is inspiring me. And that is, the podcast Dolly Parton's America. Oh, have yes. you heard of this? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So you know, take it for what it is. This is not a podcast by Dolly Parton. This is a podcast about her that mm. WNYC is doing, like NPR. So it's yeah. not like some folks got together, like you guys or us, and started yeah. talking with Dolly Parton. Like they did some legit research, and then she is interviewed. And I think I don't know. Like I just think hearing. I, I just didn't know much about her at all. I'm not really into music in general, much less country music, you know, don't get me wrong. But I think that the, the conversation around who she is and the types of the, the vast diversity of people who come to one of her concerts and then hearing her try to explain how she tried to navigate her way in the world as a person who I think what just really struck me is like so deeply wants to, to love people and not like she just talks again and again about not throwing anybody under the bus. And after uh-huh. hearing her story, like, she's got some people that I want to throw under the bus for her, <laughs> you know, and it's like, she just won't, she won't talk bad about somebody. And I just, I just was like, that's really inspirational. You can say she's not using her platform the way she should, and I can understand feeling that pressure. Um, but I just thought it's admirable to me and inspirational to me that she's figured out how to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to demonize people and I'm not going to forget their people. Yeah. And I vehemently disagree with some people <laughs> that I know very well. Yeah. But the minute that I, that I forget that they're another human being made in God's image and loved by the same God I worship, then it's just kind of game over. So that's been really just kind of, and I think the fact that it's so unexpected for me as like a, a tomboy hockey player in Minnesota to be inspired by Dolly Parton is just like, I just think that's hilarious and I love it. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling everybody about this podcast. It's so great. <laughs> yeah, I, I read a little bit about it online and I listened to part of one and I was like, what? And so it's on my list to get to. Isn't it weird? It's, mm-hmm. it's not what you'd expect. Mm-hmm. I want people just to give it a chance from whatever perspective you come from. Uh, just give it a chance because it's at very least it's fascinating and interesting. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, what is a good way for people to connect with you or reach you or find out what you're up to? Yeah, well, um, my website is pastorsteph.com, um, Steph with a PH, and then um, my handle on all the things is Pastor Steph. So you can find me there. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd love to connect with people through Instagram. It's probably my favorite one. So <laughs> find me there. All right. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, totally. Thank you, guys. Okay, peace.
Bye.